You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where once again we are having honest, straightforward conversations about married life and love and sex and how we believe that how you do sex is how you'll do life and how you do life is how you do sex. So we're talking about it all here at Sexy Marriage Radio. Today's episode, um, I'm joined by a colleague of mine that's going to be worth checking out. And so, but before we get to that, if you like what we've got going on here at Sexy Marriage Radio, we ask you that you jump on iTunes, rate and review the show, leave a comment, help spread the word that married sex has got it going on. And also, um, want to ask that if, if you, as part of the members of the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation, got a question or a thought or a comment that you want us to address on the show or to go deeper with or go further along with with a, a prior guest, Give us a call, 214-702-9565. You can also jump on the inbox and email us at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. And as we're starting off this week, um, i got to give a shout out to the Freedom Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Got the privilege of being able to speak there this past weekend at their Sunday services. And they have a fantastic thing growing in the Los Alamos community. It was a wonderful time, and so to all the people that are there, um, thanks for being so welcoming and warming. It was a great time, and uh, all the best and God's blessings on on the work and and the path that you continue to do, and I also have to say a shout out to my seven-year-old best friend that I made over the weekend, Jeremiah, you rock, Um, so it was such a great time to uh, just out of the mouths of babes, I guess you could say, and just listening to the conversations that can take place from children. Um, so coming up on today's regular free version of Sexy Marriage Radio is a conversation with a colleague of mine, Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife, and we get into um, how do you deal with the lower desire and what are the aspects of lower desire that need to be addressed that can help us uncover desire a little bit more. She has some fantastic work in that arena. And on the extended version of Sexy Marriage Radio, which is deeper, longer, and there's no ads, you can subscribe at smrnation.com. She and I can, Dr. Jennifer and I continue a conversation on her dissertation, where she did a qualitative study within the LDS community and the women within that culture and that dynamic, which can generally would tend to be much more conservative is the way you can look at it. So it applies to much more than just the LDS culture. But we talk about her research and what she found when it comes to uh, sexuality and desire growing up within that uh, framework. And I also bring in the research I did for my dissertation, which is along the same lines with a little bit of a different bent on the in the Christian church. So all that is coming up on today's show. Well, joining me for uh, this episode of Sexy Marriage Radio is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is a, a woman I've come across that's a colleague uh, because she is into the schnarch world just like I am. And if you've been a part of Sexy Marriage Radio Nation any length of time, you've probably heard me reference differentiation or 
Crucible or something that Schnarch does, because you know um, I'm a fan and I, I, I like his work and try to uh, use his work in a lot of ways, always giving him respect. And Jennifer's in the same tribe as me, I guess you could say. Um, but she also has some some fantastic takes uh, that are worth exploring when you're talking about just some of the dynamics that play out in marriage. And so, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. And so, Jennifer, I think let's just to start diving right in. When you're talking about sure. um, the dynamics of, of marriage and how uh, we believe that sex in marriage is a, is a sacred blessed thing by God. Um, but it's also one of those things that, man, it can be so cumbersome and <laughs> so troublesome because when you first were meeting, it was easy, maybe, yes. as far as the as far as the desire goes. Sex maybe wasn't yes. easy, but the, the desire, right. the, desire, the desire probably uh-huh. was. And yes. then as you get into it, all of a sudden it's not. And so right. how do how do you how do you enter into that that arena with people? Well, uh, first, I think, you know, it's probably good to just normalize that shift because I think a lot of people take that as a kind of pathology somehow of their marriage right. or of their who they chose, as opposed to a reality that comes out of what are the fundamental dynamics of desire. And so when you're in the falling in love stage, all the novelty, the uncertainty, the, you know, the ways that your beloved expands your sense of self, right? Right, Because now this person that you really think is attractive and you value thinks you're attractive and values you and wants to be close to you and is validating of your sexual desirability. That makes us feel good about ourselves. And yeah. so we want it and yeah. we go towards it. Yeah. And it's exciting because you don't necessarily know what's on the other side of that bridge. And those are all the kind of qualities of desire. When you make it highly legal, though, and you move into marriage, right, as we do. <laughs> yep. And now, for many of us, especially those who've grown up in a religious tradition uh, around what it is to be good and sexual or what it is particularly to be a female and be good and be sexual, it often moves quickly into the obligation frame. Yes. Right? That if I'm a good wife or a good partner, I will have sex. And, and now, you know, God expected me to be chased perhaps before marriage and that was part of the forbidden that made it desirable. Right. Now, now if I'm doing God's will, I'm supposed to have sex and I'm supposed to like it. And now it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Like, it's highly legal, highly expected. And, and for those of us who've grown up with any idea that our sexuality belongs to our partner, not to ourselves, or if I'm a good woman in my religious tradition, you know, you give this over to your husband, right. the gift you give him, right? Right. Well, then it starts to constrict your sense of self and it makes you start feeling like I don't belong to me. And now my sexuality is half his. Right. And I'm supposed to because it's Wednesday and it's been three days and he's getting agitated. Right. Because this is all about just accommodating and and, and adjusting according to the male in the relationship. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it's a very male reference. It's not a self reference. And this is precisely what will kill desire. Mm -hmm. So. So, so there's two elements here. One is just when you move into the predictability of marriage, even if you don't have those ideas, okay? Right. It's still there's still a piece that we can talk about about how you would create and cultivate desire in that more predictable, secure reality of the relationship. But then, for many people, uh, and many of the people that I work with, there's this idea that I should do this, and I'm supposed 
supposed to do this and I'm supposed to be the caretaker of his sexuality. And that kills sex and desire right out of the gate. Yeah. So now sex becomes all about duty and you take care of your kids all day. Now you got to take care of your husband at night and you're, you know, kind of crawling out of your skin because you have no sense of belonging to yourself, which is very different than the experience of falling in love where this whole experience was expanding your sense of self. Now you feel like you're kind of shrinking into the marriage Okay, and And desire cannot be, cannot be fostered in that shrinking reality. Okay. And I love how you framed it at the very beginning of this, because you're talking about one, that's a normal process of what happens in, in, in many, most all (laughs) marriages, because, because that's the one thing, if you think about it, um, I come across a lot of couples where one of the parties has come into it because it, and they and they enjoy the relationship because it provides a sense of security and safety, right. but that also is a killer of desire That's because right. it's it, you, you, it, that becomes the predictable, right? That That's that right. becomes the routine, and That's right. and desire needs that novelty in some regards right. or that unknown to yes. expand itself. So exactly. at least by normalizing it, it helps people recognize yes. it. That's right, and then it also needs that element of authenticity and self and. Most of us don't know how to do a marriage where a self, two selves can thrive. Right. You know, re- referencing the Schnarch ideas that, you know, we, we create these sort of borrowed functioning realities in which, you know, often the higher desire person is trying to have sex to feel that they are a legitimate self. Right. So validate me. Right. Tell me I'm enough by wanting me. Right. And the lower desire person is often trying to have a self by not feeling taken over or having to manage the self of the partner. Right. Right. And so that's how you get into these often extreme high and low desire dynamics. They often get sort of punctuated through the immaturity that's operating within the couple. Yeah. And so... Mm-hmm. Because you probably just described a vast number of Sexy Marriage Radio Nation listeners. Yes. <laughs> with with uh-huh. that right there. Of yeah. The higher desire gets their their identity in some regards, their value over yeah. their sexual conquest, their sexual ability, their yes. desirability, whatever it might yes. be. And then the lower desire is is spending a, a, a time, their time just trying to. I don't want to be taken over. I I don't want that's to right. give myself over. Even that's. I think that's a nicer way that's to right. even say it. But it still is not yeah. nice yes. and clean. So that's right. So what do you do with that then? What's where do you where where do we go with that? Well, as a as a therapist and coach that's working with people on these issues, I my first goal is to expose that dynamic. And to help people see it so that they can make more choices to break that dynamic, right? And, you know, to expose that there is a borrowed functioning reality that's operating within their beds or within their marriage. Yeah. And because a lot of times people can't see it. They're just like, I have no desire. I have no idea even what happened because I had it right up until the day we got married. And Mm -hmm. then it was like gone, you know? And so it feels like a mystery often of what's happening. So it's helping people see why it makes good sense to not want the sex you're having. You're not broken. You have good judgment. Right. Like nobody <laughs> nobody wants to do that. I mean, I think I've heard Schnarch say something once like, you can either prop up your husband's ego or his penis, but not both. Yep. You know, you're not. Yep. It's a <laughs> great phrase. Gonna, yes. You're just not going to want this person um, if you feel like you're managing their sense of self. So I think um, helping people see what they're operating in and how – and helping them confront the 
the betrayal or or self-betrayal within it. You know, you're using your lower desire spouse to prop up your sense of self. Right. That's not, you may think of yourself as so sexually competent and able and you've got this broken partner, okay? But in reality, what you're doing, there's nothing noble or virtuous about what you're doing. There's nothing right. strong about it. It's, right. It looks like strength, but it's really weak. And to help the lower desire person see that they have taken a kind of underfunctioning position. Well, depends on how you think about it, but they've taken a, a, a more accommodating position. Okay. And that they are, what they are doing is not only bad for them, it's bad for their partnership. And um, so how is that bad so, for them? Because I want to I want to jump sure. on because one of the things I've loved about uh, catching up on your work and the and, and just the way you're framing it yeah. is is you do an excellent job, in my opinion, of framing it for women. I mean, yeah. being one helps. That's where I have sure. I have an audience you that have a I can disadvantage in that way. I, I can, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I I've yeah. not ever been a woman, and and yes. <laughs> so yes. And I can frame things for the higher desire male because that's me. Yes. Yeah. But I, I'm curious of what is it that becomes the the path for the woman for the, in this for the and, woman and how, or the lower desire right, woman. and how yeah. she's uh, contributing, colluding. You know, right I'll, I'll, in that dysfunction. Right. What's well, I think for many people, and you know, I come from an LDS background, Mormon background, and there's, you know, it's very much in the culture, the idealization of a woman taking a kind of sidekick, one down position within right. a marriage. Right. This is an idealized role. You are his support. You are his um, help meet, so to speak, mm -hmm. and your sexuality is there for the comfort and the sustenance of the man. Right. It exists for the husband. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the thing that sometimes I think feminism hasn't done a great job of articulating, um, and maybe the, it, we're easy to be blind to, is the upside of dependency. The temptation in a Cinderella position, okay. <laughs> so to speak. Who doesn't want a prince who's going to come and take care of you, admire you, desire you, offer you a castle? Yeah. And take all the anxiety of living life away. <laughs> right. I mean, who doesn't right. want that, okay? <laughs> that sounds good to me. Yep. <laughs> right. And so there's a lot of this, of, of how to say it, we kind of want often to hide in the shadow of a partner. Okay. Okay. And so what I w would often be pushing the lower desire person on is that they may well be in a dynamic where the higher desire person is somewhat of a bully or is dominant or pressuring or is selfish enough that his desires, let's just do it in the stereotypical male, female, high desire, low desire way, mm -hmm. you know, is pressuring and taking up 90% of the oxygen in the marriage. Okay. So I'm going to probably, I'm going to first deal with that person very likely. Okay. Right. If that person's not going to go anywhere with it, then I'm going to go and look at, t talk to her because she's the linchpin in that reality. Okay. And because she's accommodating it and putting up with it, even if she's miserable, it's allowing it to be sustained in the, in the guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm talking to her about the fact that she's maybe taken some safety in this position. She doesn't have to stick her neck out and define a life and define a self in the world. Okay. She can... She can think of herself as superior often. These are just some of the archetypal realities that I'm working with. I can feel superior because I put up with you and your hedonism and your, you know, your selfishness. And I, I'm the long suffering good one. Christ and I understand each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I get and, it. I can see that. Yep. And there's a kind of martyr superiority that is a pseudo self. Right. 
And it's easy to just, there's a safety in it, a, um, a way you can extract a superiority, a way you can never really choose your husband and feel justified in doing that, never really step up as a partner, feel justified. And of course, the husband's making it easy if he's doing his shenanigans okay, yeah, of, yeah. of taking over too much of the marriage, thinking it should sure, revolve yeah, around him or whatever. Neither side is virtuous in this journey. No, exactly right. Exactly right. And you can still do all that martyr and not necessarily have a dominant husband. We can talk about there's other ways in which you can still kind of sure. do this role if you are determined enough to. But I think that um, <clears throat> so I'm looking and then also the self-betrayal in it, that this person has kind of bought into a system or an idea to betray their own development. Speak to that. Disregard their yeah. own sexuality. Speak yes. to that, yeah. because I think and, that's sure. that's the stuff that yeah. uh, was was so profound in some in some regards of just kind of recognizing hold on this is this is about my own development that I'm stunting I'm I'm, yes. I'm ultimately harming myself possibly yes, exactly so you're you're referencing uh, some of the work I do in the the women's art of desire course is that what you're yes. saying right now yes. that you were saying that that's profound yes so I'm I'm talking to women about this a lot about this um, reality that they have learned to devalue their desires as a function of goodness. Okay. I'm the selfless one. I'm the accommodating one. I will do everything for everybody and neglect my own desires yep. as a function of goodness. And, you know, many women come by this, honestly, this is precisely how they've been taught Absolutely. to function in the world. And so my, you know, workshops and my course for women in desire is very much about challenging whether or not that's even good because you're propping up bullies. There's no I mean, to speak it in the most blatant form, there's nothing virtuous about propping up somebody taking advantage, whether it's your child, a parent, a partner. And so helping women to start looking at the virtue of desire, which is the idea of that desire is about shape what allows me to reach for something beyond myself and develop my capacities and God-given gifts, inclusive of my sexuality, but not just sexuality. To develop into a stronger, more able woman who can discern about where she gives and what she offers and what she creates in the world. Right. So I'm very much interested in women challenging this idea that sabotaging or sacrificing their development is a virtue. Yeah. Because in my experience, it only creates resentment. It creates very uh, non-intimate marriages. Because you can, if you have no self to share, you're not going to be able to create intimacy. Right. Full stop. Right. It's it's all role and playing. So it's all role play, and, and exactly. And and many of us have learned this idea that a role based marriage is a marriage. And right. Well, it is a marriage, but it's not an intimate marriage. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It's not. It's not one that has a tremendous depth and vibrancy no. and life and passion and energy and even the flip side of it of of the pain and the struggle. Because I I think we. Right, you, you know becomes, full well that it's both sides of this thing we're talking about. We don't always right. get right. the glorious right. side of it. That's no, exactly. It's it becomes an act of two people, right? Uh, and you're playing out roles, and there's some security in that. And I actually think there's some function in it. I'm not here to say that there's no value in that Got kind it. of marriage, but if we want an intimate marriage, which many of us want, but we haven't quite articulated our wanting and longing for that, is that we're often operating in a different model of marriage not one that would create intimacy, not one that's about two people showing up, honestly. 
And a lot of us want the ideal of a marriage of an intimate marriage, as in I want you to validate my desirability and my goodness and my right. virtue, even though I don't think I'm that desirable, good or virtuous. <laughs> I want you to think I am. Right. Okay. I want you to so see lot- what I'm not as, as, exactly. as I deem it, at least. Exactly right. So a lot of us want that validation in a marriage, but we don't necessarily want an intimate marriage because that means you have to be knowable. Yeah. And you have to tolerate knowing yourself and your partner. And those can both be harrowing experiences. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of us are very happy to hide within a role or within, uh, you know, I'll accommodate your desires. That way I don't have to expose mine. Okay. And take the risk of exposing mine. Or can it also be that way I don't even have to explore what mine might actually be? Precisely. Okay. Because for many of us, we haven't even figured out what they are because we've been so good at tucking those invitations or yearnings within ourselves away. Okay. Because that's that's the thing I keep coming across is, and if proposed on, on prior episodes of the show, that there are times when a lower desire, when asked what they want and they respond with, I don't know, that's an accurate yeah. answer. Absolutely. You know, it's, so it's right. true with where they are yes. in their process of development at that that's moment. Right. They don't know. That's right. But you're that's talking right. about the courageousness of, venturing into, well, maybe I could figure out. And that's and, right. And that could be a scary starting, proposition. Oh, absolutely. It is terrifying. I, when I do these live workshops and I start talking about this, women are like, oh crap, now it's getting real. Like <laughs> now <laughs> you're meddling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I, one woman, I came to one of my workshops and I do this, how to, how to know what your life's purpose is in five minutes or less. It's, it's borrow from a Ted talk and it's, it's kind of, but basically, it's just starting to ask the question, what are the things I love to do? Mm-hmm. Whom do I do these things for? What do I create or what blesses their life through doing it? It's just starting to look at what are the gifts I have? And a lot of people are like, well, it's not something great. It's not something amazing. I just like organizing stuff. Well, let's just start with that. Let's like look at what it is. Well, one woman that had gone to one of these workshops, she wrote me about six months later, and she just said, I just want you to know when I first did this exercise, it was like, what do I do? You know, basically laundry, you know, stuff for my family. Who do I do it for? My kids, you know, basically there's no, there's no me in this. And she said she went home from the workshop and she cried because she just Uh, felt like I, I know nothing about what I want. My whole life's been wrapped around my children and I have no sense of self, but she made a commitment to herself and to God that she was going to stay open, open hearted to start letting herself know her desires. And one of the ways I tell people to do is look at where your resentments lie, because your resentments often uh, indicate or that you want something, but you're placing the responsibility for that desire at someone else's feet. Okay. And so, you know, look at your resentments. That's one place to start. But also, what are the things that make you brighten or lighten up? Mm-hmm. And she, she made this commitment to herself and she started to understand there was this part of her that really loved the idea of meditation. She had no history of it. Okay. She had tried it a couple times. And so she, but she decided she was going to start opening herself up to it. Then she invited some friends over one night and did a yoga meditation and they loved it. They were like, you are so good at this. <laughs> then she did it another night and a guy came to it that was a doctor who was writing a book and said, would you be willing to write some meditations for my book? So she, because they were so good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, then, and then she came to another workshop of mine, which was like a three day, like a, not a workshop, but like a retreat. And the she did these for the women and they were like, these are amazing. So anyway, she, she wrote me and she just said, 
uh, this was before she did it for the retreat because I actually invited her to come to the retreat and do it. But she wrote me and just said, like, this whole aspect of myself has started to open up. Yeah. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. But she was certainly starting from a place of not knowing. Yeah. And now these realities are starting to become emergent and present for her because she started asking the question. Right. Because this almost sounds like what you're describing is is spending the time trying to figure out, is this what I want or is this what I think I should want? It's kind of getting exactly. getting into That's that right. role versus true yes. quintessential yes. self. Yes, or in a schnarch frame, reflected sense of self versus solid self. Is it what I've been told by others that I know I'll get validation for doing? Okay. Or is this me? And I, it doesn't mean we have to live in an amoral world where we're no. not referencing what other people, you know, that's not it. That's an impossibility. That's an impossibility. But also, is this something that sort of lights me up? Yeah. That makes me feel whole? That's like, you know, there's a there's something I reference in that. I can't, I don't think I can say this quote, but it comes from the gospel according to Thomas, which is like the Dead Sea Scrolls or the these scriptural texts that were found in Egypt in yeah. 1940. Yeah. Right. So Thomas is, is quoting Christ as saying something, and this is a paraphrase, but basically if you, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Okay. And this is this idea of the parable of the talents, like that you yep. are given these gifts. And a lot of times we want to make them these lofty gifts or we want to resent <laughs> that I don't have 10 talents. Therefore, right. I'm resentful. Right. Right. Resentful. And I just shut it all down right. rather than what are the gifts that I have? Just inclinations, capacities. Yeah. And that we have a responsibility to bless the body of Christ through developing those gifts. And that's extraordinarily important, not only for our own sense of sustenance, for saving right. ourselves, right. to find ourselves in this good way, uh, but also absolutely essential for the quality of our relationships. Yeah. And that this is, this is, God wants this for us. Yeah. It's not in selfishness. I, like a lot of the people I work with will get it in this. Is it selfish or selfless? I'm like, that's the wrong question. Yes, yeah, that's because the premise is off in that. It, the premise is off. The framing makes, makes it so it's an, a question that can't be answered. And for many of my clients and people in my workshops and classes, they are asking these questions about their sexuality and about their development of self and their desires in that frame that you get stuck in either way. It's in, a, it's in the wrong paradigm right? rather than a paradigm that self-development and, and development of the best in ourselves allows us more capacity for deep connection with other people, not right. less. right. And limited self-development interferes with our sexual self-development and our and our relational self-development. Right. Yeah. Jennifer, I could talk about this for the rest of the day. Um, I know. But, <laughs> <That's> good stuff. <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, but I'd, I'd, as we close out this segment, I need to at least uh, tell people, because I know people are going to want to sure. know more. So how, how can they sure. find you? And I'll sure. also so put my- all this in the show notes. So. Great, great. So my website is is my name, which is finlayson-fife.com. So finlayson-fife.com. And my, I have um, lots of podcasts. So you can subscribe to podcasts that I've been on if you want. But there's also, I do online courses and I do live workshops for couples and individuals. My audience is primarily uh, LDS in the sense that that's the group that I uh, mm-hmm. grew up in and also what I wrote my dissertation on. But lots of people who are not LDS and particularly people that are Christian find the courses to be very relevant to them because I'm not so much referencing LDS theology as I am Christian theology right. and Christian principles and how they relate to our development as people. Right. So I have a course on 
uh, for couples in their relationship, of course, for couples in their sexual relationship, and then one that's been very very popular, which is around women's sexual self-development and self-development. So I call it the art of desire. Mm -hmm. And it's a course on basically desire and its relationship to yourself and sexual development. And then I also do one on how to talk to your kids about sex and offer your kids your values without crushing their their ability to embrace their sexuality and right. align it with their values. Yes. Well, and as yeah. as someone who's seen most of the three, the first three you talked about, I I can wholeheartedly yeah. recommend them. Uh, because yeah, thank because you. you do great work, Jennifer. So thank you so much thank for you. the time uh, and joining me on this segment. Thank if you're you. curious of hearing more of Jennifer, check out her site or also subscribe to the extended content because we're going to unpack her dissertation here in just a second. So. I think Great. I'm going to geek out. I'm going to have fun with it. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, the one thing that stands out to me from the conversation I got to have with Dr. Jennifer is there is weight on both sides of this equation with higher desire, lower desire. And each side has a path and a burden to carry. And it's really easy as spouses um, to, to blame the other. And to think, well, they're not carrying their weight. And the one thing I hope you that rings true to you is you realize, I got to look at myself. And am I carrying mine? Am I being uh, and acting out of goodness and virtue? Or have I masked that and made it look like it is, but it really isn't? So this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. If we've left something undone, let us know. 214-702-9565. So wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. See you next time.